Good morning, Versity. My name is Aaron, and this is my lovely wife, Leslie. I'm so excited that we're uh, discussing racial inequality and its inherent difficulties. Um, how do you feel about FCC addressing the topic of racial inequality? I'm actually really excited about this sermon series and all the discussions that I hope will come out of it. Um, I think this is the perfect opportunity. It is everywhere you look now, and I think more people's hearts and minds are being opened and understanding the experiences of others and the differences in those experiences. So I think uh, as leaders in our community, we should be leading the conversation, learning how to do it, making those mistakes, and having those conversations with each other in, a, in an environment of safety and security and um, with the love of Christ. He was the master of uh, pursuing social justice and standing up for it. And I think uh, we are, um, we need to be responsible and uh, take part in exactly those kind of actions. If it doesn't come from us, where does it come from? So this is a, a wonderful opportunity for us. And I think, um, and I hope that we will grow as a church as we explore the topic. Can you share with us an example of prejudice? Sure. This seems like a fairly minor example, but it happens fairly frequently. Um, in my work as a surgeon, I'm often meeting patients for the first time in their hospital rooms. And so often I walk into the room, and before I even get a chance to introduce myself, I'm asked to get them a glass of water, or move their tray table over, or get them a bedpan. And then I introduce myself as their surgeon, and they feel embarrassed and apologize for making an assumption. So this, this happens fairly commonly. And you don't feel like you're being racist? I choose to think about it as more of an expression of unconscious bias. It's something that um, has an underlying basis in their, in their minds, but they're not even aware of it. Yeah, there's so much to unpack there. Uh, we're so glad you're watching today. Uh, if you would like to talk to Leslie or I, you can reach us through the church office. And let's talk. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to lesson four in our series, Can We Talk? I want to thank Aaron and Leslie for doing that little video. They've been such a valuable asset to our team as we got together and talked about social justice and all the things that we see going on in our world today and what should we as Christians do about it. I love Aaron's question when he's like, should we engage the conversation and exactly how should we engage that conversation? And as Leslie was talking about, absolutely, we should engage the conversation and not be afraid of it, but we should engage the conversation in such a way that it reflects who we are as Christians. And that really is what I want to talk about today in this lesson, should Christians be biased? Now, uh, Aaron gave me permission to mention this to you, but a little over a year ago, Aaron came into my office and he wanted to meet with me and we sat down and talked and he asked me this question. He said, Rick, do you have any biases in you? That's a, that's a loaded question, right? And, and I know there's a difference between explicit bias and implicit bias, right? Where there are biases that we have that are really known and there are biases that are below the surface that are really not known. They're, uh, we, we don't even understand or recognize that they may even be there. And that really is where I started approaching the, 
the conversation. I said, well, Aaron, um, yeah, I, I, I do have biases. In fact, I think all of us have biases. And I'm talking about things like these. We, we, we all bring in biases as it relates to, you know, like finances, uh, how decisions around finances should be made, whether we're spenders or whether we're savers, raising kids, especially when it comes to discipline. We Parents have a lot of biases when it comes to how they raise their children or what other people should say about it. Work ethic, how hard somebody should work and the priority that that should take in their life. Entertainment, things that we should watch and things we should and could run after, things that we should stay away from. We have biases with relationships and the boundaries around relationships and what's appropriate and inappropriate. Religion, there are all types of biases when it comes to religion, right? Health, my health, uh, what people eat or exercise, all types of biases or morality and the way that that shows itself all across our nation. And so as I started talking about these implicit biases, he stopped me and he said, no, Rick, I mean, do you have any biases that others bump into? Do you carry in you explicit bias? So I'll, I'll, I'll give that question to you. Do you carry inside you explicit bias? And with our question today, should Christians be biased? Now, as I begin to approach this subject today, uh, I want you to know the answer to that question for me is yes. I have explicit bias in me. And I believe all Christians do, and I believe all Christians should. The message that I want to give you today may not be popular in the world. The, the, the message I want to give to you today may make this a, a hate speech, according to Twitter. The, the speech I want to give you today is all about my explicit bias and why I carry it. But, but I want to talk to you about why I believe we should engage the conversation as Leslie was talking about and how we should engage the conversations like Christians that Leslie was talking about. And so everything I do, I'm going to give you my bias right up front with everything I do is filtered through one lens. I am a Christian. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And that filters every, everything in my life is filtered through that lens. That's who I am. That's how I live. All my decisions, all my relationships, everything is filtered through that lens. But it's also why I want to engage the conversation. And it's why I want to get involved in social justice in all of its many forms. Because that's what God has called me to do as a Christian. And that influences everything. And when Jesus was asked, what does it mean to be one of your followers? What does it mean you know, to, to be what we call Christianity, what they were calling the way? To follow you, what does that mean? What is, you sum up all the laws. You sum up all of religion. And so Jesus did. He said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and the demands of the prophets 
are all based on these two commandments. Everything I do is filtered through that lens. Because I'm a Christian, I want to run after God with all my heart, with all my strength, with all my mind, right? And I'm going to get involved in loving my neighbor the way Jesus defined loving my neighbor. And so everything I carry in me, all of my bias, why I'm even talking about social justice is because this is what I bring into the conversation. It's who I am. And I'm going to even break that down. So as I begin to think through what is my bias, why and how I bring that into the social justice conversation. Here's my first one. I'm going to give you three. Uh, and if you want to write these down, you can write these down. But these are my big three biases of why and how I do everything I do. The first one is this. I am a servant of God. Not any other God, not multiple gods, not no God. I am a servant of Jehovah God, the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm monotheistic. I'm not polytheistic, right? I am a servant of God. And it's the Trinity of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so as I study the scriptures and believe in that God, in all three of those personalities of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I let them dictate everything. And so when I go to the Word and I look at, okay, what is it that the Father demands of me? The one place where we go is Micah 6, 8. It's our 21 days of prayer. I hope you're participating in the 21 days of prayer. And out of that, is this not what the Lord requires out of you to act justly, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Those are the demands of God. My Father, I am His servant. And he said, those are the three things that should be the outline of everything that you do. And, and I know exactly what he meant by acting justly because his word clearly says it is running after the oppressed, running after the marginalized, the hurting, those who have been ostracized. You do everything you can to help them find their way to me. But you do it through a spirit of kindness and you do it by walking humbly with God. And that is, defines everything that I do through the Father. And then it's the Son, Jesus Christ. I believe the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And so I do not follow the prophet Muhammad. I follow Jesus Christ. I don't follow Buddha. There are not many paths to heaven. There is one way. One truth, one life, one way through Jesus Christ. And everything is filtered through that. And so I follow him. I listen to him. He leads me. He guides me. He shows me who to interact with and why and how. And everything I do is filtered through that. And then the, the gift of the Holy Spirit, not only has he given all of us gifts, placed us all in the body as he saw fit, but he said every interaction, everything we do can be filtered through the fruit when he's involved. And the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So in every one of my conversations, 
I have a heated exchange with my wife. At the end of that heated exchange, I ask myself, right now, is there more love between us? More joy? More peace? More patience? If the answer is no, then even if I feel like what I did or said was right, it was not of God. Right? Because the fruit, when the Holy Spirit is involved, is love, joy, peace. So I look at what's on TV. And I'm watching the news, if you can stomach the news. And I'm watching to see how people are going about trying to bring about social justice. And I watch, and there are some times when I hear people sitting down in conversation and they're saying, please, can we just come to the table and submit to one another and have conversations where we listen and respond? I know God's involved in that conversation. But I flip the channel and I watch things being burned and I'm watching, I'm watching all of this stuff happening. And I'm looking and I'm asking, is that bringing more love, more joy, more peace, more patience, more kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? And if the answer is no, God is not behind it, even if the people think that they're right. And so this is why I believe we must get involved in the conversation. Because if, if it's ever going to find peace, if it's ever going to find joy, if, if there's ever going to be unity in the world, it's going to be because it revolves around us all being servants of the Father, following Jesus Christ, His Son, and letting the Holy Spirit unify us into one body. And so that filters everything. And, and, and it leads me to number two. Here's my second one. I am a citizen of heaven not a defender of the world standard. And I don't fight for what the world fights for. I don't fight as the world fights. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. I'm a foreigner. I'm a stranger. I'm an alien. My citizenship is in heaven. And that's where I'm headed. And it filters everything. And so I don't fight for what the world fights for. I don't fight as the world fights, with the weapons that they fight with, with the anger that they fight with, or the hatred. It only brings division. And so because we as Christians fight differently, Jesus gave us his voice on that. And here he is. Well, Romans chapter 2 says this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is his good pleasing and perfect will. So we are not to give into the pattern of this world or fight for what this world fights for. We're transformed in the name of Jesus Christ to be pleasing to the perfect will of the Father. Jesus said, when you do that, this is what you can expect. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it. But you no longer are part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. See, you're not of the world. You're, you're in it, but you're not of it. You're, you're, you're not living according to the way they think you should live or fighting the way they think you should fight. I've called you out of that to, to be different. And then he even explained it further in verses 22 and 24 of John 15. See, he said, they would not be guilty if I had not come and spoken to them. But now they have no excuse for their sin. If I hadn't done such miraculous signs among them that no one else could do, they would not be guilty. But as it is, they have seen everything I did, and yet they hate me 
and hate my father. Here's the thing of Jesus Christ. He said, I came to this world. I demonstrated I was from God by miraculous signs and wonders. I proved to them doing things no one else had done that I was from God. I showed them who to go to, how to respond, who is your neighbor, how to act, how to reach out to those that are hurting and marginalized and oppressed. And they hated me for it. See, this is, the, pause just for a minute. I went downtown with a friend of mine named Jamie, and this was several years ago. And he came up to me and he said, hey, Rick, will you go with me downtown to a gay pride rally? And uh, I said, Jamie, why do you want me to go with you to this rally? He said, we're not going to go because we're wanting to be, you know, proud of, of gay or homosexuality. I want to go down there because there are people who are struggling, who are hurting, who are wanting to commit suicide. There are more suicides you know, in, in that group of people than any other group of people because they can't find anybody that will stand with them. And while we were there, there were some people standing out on the street corner holding up these signs telling them they were all going to hell. And Jamie's like, I just want to go reach out to these people who are hurting and just have a conversation with them to tell them about Jesus Christ. Will you go? And I said, yes. And we went and that's exactly what we did. But when I engaged in the conversations of the people who were holding the signs, they started hating me too. You know, they were like, you are wrong to be over there and to sit and associate. And I'm thinking, oh, if Jesus were here, which of these two groups would he be fighting for? The ones who feel like they're healthy or the ones who know they're sick? And so I was really proud to be down there with Jamie. That's a good man with a good heart. And, and I'm telling you, this is going to cause the world to hate us because of how we fight and who we fight for. And so I want to fight for grace, not law. I want to fight for mercy, not sacrifice. And I want to fight for the oppressed, not myself. And this, I believe I learned from God and his son, Jesus Christ. And so when it comes to like, you know, grace and law, remember Jesus in Matthew chapter five, he said, you know what the law says, an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. If you feel like you can get one over on somebody, then go for it. But I'm telling you, if they slap you on one cheek, just return the other. Just give them the other cheek. Don't slap back. If you, you think you can get one over on them, you think you're strong enough and you can put them down. He's like, I, that's, I don't want anything to do with that spirit. Your spirit needs to be the one that blesses people. Now pause again. I'm not saying that if you're in an abusive relationship, you should just stay in that kind of a relationship. Not at all. That is not what God has called us to do. You get out of that type of a relationship. But if somebody is insulting you, right, which is the slap on the cheek, if they're insulting you, we can handle that in the name of Jesus because we're fighting for something bigger. Or if they take you to court and they want your shirt, just be generous. Give them your coat. Or if, they have, if they're stronger and you're weaker and they want to force you to go one mile, just be extravagant and go to why? Because the mission is more important than what happens to you. And remember that time when he was over at Matthew's house? Matthew was a tax collector. And here come the Pharisees and they said, hey, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? 
on hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is an Old Testament verse of scripture. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And it was all around, in fact, two or three times God mentions it. He does it in Amos, he does it in Isaiah, he does it in Micah, but he's always talking about this. You're filling your churches up with all this worship while people are hurting and are marginalized. You are kicking people out of your churches because you say they're divorced or they're homosexual or they're a sinner or they're a gossiper or they're an alcoholic or you name it. And so you feel justified in just kicking them out. And all these people are in all your community, they're hurting and they need help. They don't feel like that anybody really cares about them. And he said, I would much rather you stop your worship and go help those people than you come here every week and talk about how much you love God, but you do nothing to help those who are oppressed. And that's what he's talking about. This is what, to me, it means to follow Jesus. I'll give you some examples from all of the Bible. Jesus and God running after the oppressed. Here's two in the Old Testament. Remember when God sent Jonah to Nineveh? God's like, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach to that city. I want them to repent. Jonah ran in the opposite direction. He did not want to go. By the time God caught up with him, brought him back through the belly of a fish, right? And Jonah goes into this town. Jonah's like, I don't want to preach to them. And, and because this is what I know about you, God. You're forgiving. You're kind. You're long-suffering. And if they turn their heart toward you, you'll forgive them. And I don't want them in heaven. I don't want them forgiven because they have wounded me and our people. And God is like, don't you understand? Listen at you. God is like, I want everybody saved. And you believe that you don't want people in heaven because they're mean or they're mean to you or they're not good people. And see, who is God fighting for? He's fighting for those that are hurting, even though they were evil people. And in Numbers chapter, chapter 12, Moses and Aaron and Miriam were doing ministry for God's people while they were wandering in the wilderness. And one day Miriam just spoke up and she said, I, know, I wonder why God doesn't talk to us like he does to Moses. And, and Moses, even though he married, are you listening? That Cushite woman. See, that was, that was such a... That was such an insulting thing to say. By the way, Cushite means Ethiopian. Cushite people were from Africa. She was dark-skinned. And Miriam insulted her only because of the color of her skin. And God didn't, he didn't go for that at all. And he said, the three of you out now, meet with me. He called them to this tent. And he said, Miriam and Aaron, you come over here. Moses stayed where he was. And God came down in this cloud and he said, how dare you speak about my servant Moses like that? The way that I love him, the way that we engage each other face to face. And then when the cloud lifted up, Miriam looked at her skin and Aaron saw her skin and it was bright white with a disease that turned your skin white. It's like God was saying, Miriam, do you want to know what it's like to be judged by the color of your skin or to be ostracized? Or, or kicked out because of the color of your skin, there you go. 
and she didn't like it and Aaron didn't like it and Moses didn't like it at all. Who is God fighting for? And see, God is not going to stand for there to be any kind of prejudice because of the color of skin or because people are evil. Look at what Jesus fought for. Remember in Matthew 19, parents were wanting their children to go to Jesus and the apostles like, get those kids away from Jesus. It was almost like they were saying, they're not worthy of his time. And Jesus is like, let them come to me. Why do we believe that we can stand in the way and judge people who we don't think are worthy of the grace and mercy and forgiveness or time of Jesus Christ? And Jesus is fighting for people who were minimalized and, 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 and marginalized and abandoned. Remember the woman in John chapter 4? And so Jesus goes over and this woman comes outside the city. He tells the apostles to go into town. And when they come back, there is Jesus all alone at the well talking with this sinful woman. And, and they're like, Jesus, why are you talking to that sinful woman? And Jesus is like, listen, I know she's been married and divorced and married and divorced and married and divorced and now living with a guy. And they're like, do you know what this looks like? The people in town are talking. Or you met this woman outside, here y'all are, all alone, by yourself. She has some, some boundary problems. And how do you think that looks? Who do you think Jesus was fighting for? What people and their perspectives were like? Or the one that was hurting? And so then he goes with her into town and stays several days just to make sure that she was okay. What about the Good Samaritan? Do you remember that parable? You know, so Jesus is talking to all these Pharisees who felt like they were high and mighty and right before God. And he says, hey, a man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell among thieves, beaten, left for dead, robbed. And all of a sudden, here comes the preacher. And he looks at him and passes on by. Wouldn't give him the time of day. Here comes the youth minister. And he looks over at him. And he's like, well, the minister didn't help. The pastor didn't help. So neither am I. And so he keeps on going by. But then a Samaritan came and he saw the man, bandaged his wounds, put him on his donkey, carried him to an inn, helped him find healing, paid for all of it and told the owner, I'm going to come back and if I owe you any more, I'll pay you. And then Jesus asked him, who do you think was the neighbor to that man that was beaten and robbed? They couldn't even get the word Samaritan out of their mouth because they hated them so much. They felt like they spiritually compromised all the things of God. And they're not spiritual. They're not living right. They've got sin in their life. They won't even come down to the temple and worship. But, and they couldn't even say, well, it was the Samaritan. They said, well, I guess the one who helped him, the one who, who served him. Jesus is like, yeah, I want you to go and live like that guy. Who did Jesus side with? The religious elite or the one that was oppressed? And what about this one? Hey, Jesus, we found this woman. She was caught in the very act of adultery, and the law says stone her. What do you say? And they all picked up their stones, and they're all ready to just stone this woman. And Jesus didn't say anything. So the Bible says they kept on. Huh, Jesus, what do you say? We're, we're supposed to stone her, right? Come on, Jesus, speak into it. And finally, Jesus said, oh, so whichever one of you has no sin, you go ahead and throw the first one. Why did they hate Jesus? Why did they look to kill him? Who did he side with? 
She sinned. The law said stoner. Who did he stand with? See, this is why we want to fight for social justice. This is why we're involved in the lift ministry. We want to fight for what is right in all of its forms, for all of the people who are oppressed and hurting and wounded. And that is what we fight for. That is who we are. That's why we get involved. And that's how we get involved. We are running after making sure that everybody goes to heaven. And that's my bias. That's what I bring into this conversation. And I do believe that as long as we sit by and are quiet and we let the world go about trying to solve this problem while sitting back saying, well, I'm not prejudiced in any way. It's not good enough. We have to get involved. Why? Because we carry in us the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's the hope for the world. So here are my three. We are Christians. So we serve Jehovah God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we are citizens of heaven and we fight like we're citizens of heaven. And we're going to carry as many people with us as possible. And we fight for people that are oppressed. And we're the best ones in the world to do it. So if we remain silent, God is not happy with that. We must fight for people who are oppressed, people who are hurting. Can I brag on you just a little bit? First City Church, you do this better than any church I've ever been a part of. Do you know how many people who have come to First City Church and received healing and then left? We've had so many people who were beaten up. I've had so many conversations that you don't even know about where people were like, I was kicked out of my church for a lot of different reasons. And I, and I just needed to find a place to heal. And they came to First City and you loved on them well. You loved them with the love of the Lord unconditionally while not compromising truth. And they found the peace and the joy they were longing for. And they healed and went back to make a difference in the churches and the communities where they came from. That's happened over and over and over. You are a city a, 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 on a hill. You're a light to a dark world. And, and, and people are, are coming and they've heard. And I'm so grateful. And what you're doing in the lift ministry and in other places where people who have been abandoned or single moms or I just love what you do for people. Thank you. Thank you, thank you for loving people well, for being Christians who are fighting for people who are oppressed in all of its formed, it forms. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. That's what we fight for. That's what we're going to do at First City as long as God calls us to do it. That's why we get involved. Can we talk? Yes, we must talk. Because I've got to tell you about Jesus Christ, my Savior. If you have never given your life to Jesus, now's the time to do it. If you have not found peace and joy and the love that you've been longing for in your own heart, then I'm asking you to get involved and to first give your whole heart to God. 
and to just pray, you know, God, I, I'm a sinner and I'm so tired of the way that I've been going and I, I want your forgiveness. I want to give my life to you. I claim the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and I want him to be my Lord and Savior. I give you my whole heart. So God, forgive me and he will and you can have a, a walk with God and the peace that you've been longing for and then God's going to call you to be a witness to a hurting and dark world. And you'll be saying, hey, Zacchaeus, come out of that tree. Today I'm going to go to your house. You're going to be going and you're going to find yourself in a bunch of mess all over Pensacola in the name of Jesus. And we're going to transform this city by the name of Jesus and the power of God. Can I pray with you? Lord God, we are your people. We will do as you do. We will say as you say. We will go as you lead. Thank you for trusting us with this ministry of reconciliation. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. In your name, we go and act, move, and breathe through Jesus. Amen. You are here. God bless you.